broken heart. So we're going to talk about how Jesus came as the answer for that. So, Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for blessing us to be able to hear and understand and receive your word, and also to be able to act on your word. We thank you that your word is holy. There's nothing wrong with your word. Your word is pure. You're pure. And we thank you, Lord, for the purity that comes from your holy word Help us, Lord, to receive the word today, that we might be healed, that we might be at peace, that we might be totally made whole. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen and amen and amen. Well, in Isaiah 61, if you want to turn there, there are two scriptures that God relates to to get us to understand the effect of the anointing as it deals with the human heart. If you look in the Bible, there are so many scriptures having to do with how God looks at man's heart, what comes from the heart of people, uh, how God has uh, promised to give us a new heart. He talked in the Old Testament about people having hardened hearts hearts of stone and he was going to take the stony heart out and give us a heart of flesh so this business of fixing man's heart or or uh, god really being interested in the affairs of the heart is pretty prevalent throughout the word and and i was able to find out why isaiah 61 1 says the spirit of the lord god is upon me let me find that (laughs) because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, to preach good news to people that want to hear it. The meek are people who humble themselves and want to hear it. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those that are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God. Now, in Luke chapter 4, you see this scripture fulfilled in Jesus. He was the first one to, being the head of the church, he was the first one to carry such an anointing. And it's a very powerful anointing when you look at all that it it covers. And he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, repeats Isaiah 61.1. So this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and that means meek. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Uh, So in Isaiah, we were binding up the brokenhearted. Jesus goes better. And he said, nope, no more binding up. I'm going to heal you. Amen. To heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> brokenheartedness is something that we all have to deal with, and God was able to show me, or he did show me, I was able to understand where it came, came from. We, brokenheartedness, let me define it first. I think it would be better that way. Uh, this is a dictionary definition. Brokenhearted. Or brokenheartedness is a common metaphor used to describe the intense emotional pain or suffering one feels after losing a loved one 
through death, divorce, breakup, moving, being rejected, or other means. This term dates back, way back to before the time of Christ. You know, people read writings from way back. So it looks like brokenheartedness is a an age old. It just didn't start with you and me or people we know. It started way back when, and I'll, I'll tell you what the Bible says about when it started. It refers to physical pain felt in the chest as a result of loss. The broken heart syndrome. It's a traumatic incident triggers the brain to distribute chemicals that weaken heart tissue so it is an actual real physiological happening that happens because of emotional trauma now you all know that emotions can be can trigger chemical responses in the body we all know that if somebody's breaking in your house and you got to dial 911 if you're slow about it you won't make it So adrenaline starts to pump through your system. That's a hormone that causes you to go in super speed. Your heart beats faster. Your blood pumps faster because you got to move faster. And so we know that it's possible for emotional uh, occurrences to trigger uh, chemical responses in the body. Sometimes people who get severely depressed, they find are depleted of certain chemicals in the brain. And so they have drugs that they try to stir up the chemicals in the brain, but they're not all guaranteed to work. You know that they're medically speaking or or pill-wise, there's the least success in the area of emotions and psychiatry. Because who's who's the only one that can heal a a damaged soul and a broken heart? So we know a pill can't do it. it. It has to be a supernatural occurrence to make that thing right. So in in this brokenhearted syndrome, it will cause chemicals to weaken heart tissue. Psalm 69.20 talks about how insults can break the heart. He says, insults have broken my heart and left me weak. So sometimes if you're emotionally distraught or emotionally wrong, all you can feel like doing is lying down. You don't feel you have the strength to do anything. insults will break the heart and leave you weak rejection by a loved one or an object of respect also breaks the heart that's why parents you have to be careful how you deal with your people because they love you and you're the object of their respect and so you have to be careful when you correct don't reject you know don't let that child feel that they're rejected let them be now correct them real good all right (laughs) when you correct them make sure it works but there is a way to let your child know they're being corrected and not rejected. If you don't understand it, God will help you with it. Ask God how to do those things. The broken heart syndrome has been thought to be the cause of uh, a cause of death of a surviving spouse. And it's not the same thing as a heart attack. Hmm? When somebody's spouse dies, the surviving spouse uh, sometimes will will die and they feel that it's broken heart syndrome when they see natural causes or something like that. Symptoms are similar to an anxiety attack. There's stomach pain, loss of appetite, tightness in the chest, insomnia, anger, 
<clears throat> shock, nostalgia, or thinking about things way back, trying to comfort yourself, apathy, feeling lonely, hopeless, depression, loss of self-respect or self-esteem, nausea, fatigue, and crying, and in extreme cases, death. Now, brokenheartedness did not originate with human relationships, it, but it originated with our relationship with God. And let me tell you how brokenheartedness came in. When the man and the woman sinned, they were separated from God. So we lost our first love. So when we were locked out of the garden and out of the presence of God because God could not abide sin, that was when we were first brokenhearted. It broke God's heart and it broke ours because the relationship worked both ways. And so God had to push us away from him for our own good because a holy God cannot have fellowship with sinful man. So immediately God set in motion a plan to bring us back together again. So think of it this way. When we were in fellowship with God, it was by the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God left the man and the woman, and we were left with a God-sized hole in our hearts. We were brokenhearted, and God was too. So God's heart longs for our heart. We long for him, but we don't know that's who we're longing for. So we try to find the, uh, something to fill that up in life. And where do we turn? To somebody made in God's image, somebody who can almost fit the bill, but not quite. And so that's why we turn to one another. When you're lonely, you look for human company and human companionship. Because it's normal to look for, as looking for God, you look for somebody in the image of God and you get Godzilla. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some brother that's, you know, knuckles dragging the floor, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> but anyway, but we are always seeking uh, a repair of a broken heart. This is the great quest of humanity is to get this broken heartedness repaired. <clears throat> now, God sought to make us whole. This is the remedy for broken heartedness is wholeness. We don't just need a prayer of salvation. We need wholeness. And so when Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach wholeness to humanity. To bind up the broken heart, to heal the broken heart, to bind up your wounds, set you at liberty from the tyranny of an oppression of the enemy. It was because when we sin, the spirit of the Lord had to leave us and the anointing brings the spirit of the Lord back. So the anointing, the Bible says, destroys the yoke that yokes us up to brokenheartedness. So the first healing God does on anybody who's born again is he will heal your broken heart. And he will make you whole if you allow him the freedom to complete the process. 
This process is not done with one prayer, one trip to the altar, but it's done in relationship, everyday relationship with God and trusting God that he has a plan for you to make you whole. This is not something that you direct, it's something God directs because he is the only one who knows what's wrong with us. He understands everything about us. He understands when you're going to need to be healed and how he's going to do it, what the circumstances are through which he heals. So he has a great plan for each and every one of us to restore us and bring us back, first of all, into fellowship with him and and cure that rejection, that feeling of rejection between us and God. You know how you go to witness to people and you know they're not saved and they'll tell, well, I go to church, I do this and I do that, but they just want you off their porch uh, or out their face. And that's rejection that they feel toward God from God because they know they don't live right. They know they don't want God. They know they're just messing around. And so them pushing you away, you feel the rejection that's already in them. Well, where did it come from? It comes from their own sin. See, if if we can get over the sin consciousness and sin guilt and all that kind of stuff, we can have wholeness and fellowship with God. And that's what God is constantly striving to bring us into. Every day he's striving to bring us into a greater sense of who we are and a sense of well-being and a sense of being uh, welcomed and accepted in the beloved and, and having free fellowship with him. That's all he wants to do for us. So your sinner friend may feel like uncomfortable or feel like those Christians think they're better than everybody or they're judging me or they make me feel uncomfortable. It's only because they still have that barrier, that rejection and that distance from God until what happens? They become meek and you can preach the gospel to them. See, that's why it's good to pray for people. Pray before you go out to witness to people that God would prepare their hearts in meekness and humility. And they can receive the word that you have to give and they won't further harden themselves against it. And then start to want to fight you and reject you and and then have a personal vendetta against you. So it shouldn't have to accelerate to that point. You can pray prayers to let God know that you are willing to witness to the meek whoever has an ear to want to hear what God is saying to them. So when we were at our worst, God forgives our sins and saves us. Now this is a miracle. Going from being just a natural person to a supernatural person and having a healing touch where God has healed our broken heart. So the first healing that we get is healing a fractured relationship between or broken relationship between us and God. So when you are born again, your broken heart for being separated from God is finally healed. So you have fellowship with God. You have free access to your inheritance. You have free access to the throne room of grace. Until what happens? Till we mess up and sin again. Or your conscience starts bothering you about something you heard from some super saint that they do. And you say, I should be doing that and I don't do it. See, all kinds of things can start to bug you to want to bring that rejection and that separation between you and God again. 
And so we are, are constantly in a battle to stay close to God so that we can abide out of rejection and have the fulfillment that we need and the healing. And we can experience and know that that broken heart from the rejection by God has been healed. So when we were shut out of the Garden of Eden, we were rejected by God. And it was for our own good. Because he said if we had been allowed to stay in the garden, we would have lived eternally in sin. There would have been no recourse for our sin. If we had eaten of the tree of life that was in the garden, that would have caused sin to remain on us for eternity. So whenever God pushes us away, it's for our own good. But understand this, rejection is only temporary. If you can look at any forces of darkness as only temporary, then you will know that God has a remedy for all of the pain, all of the hurt, all of the suffering that has been caused you and that you have caused other people. So healing is a permanent condition. Separation, rejection, and the, and the brokenheartedness is temporary. So God said this. He said, I'm going to temporarily break your heart even though it breaks mine for your own good. And I have a plan to bring you back to me better than you were the first time. Amen. Better. Huh? Because in restoration, it's always better. When he put first, when man was first created, God put the man and the woman in the garden. In the new birth, he puts the garden inside of you so the devil can't get to it. You have the fruit of the spirit in you. You have the spirit of God living in you. So you're better now than Adam was. Even though he was innocent and sinless, he was weak. And God knew that he would make the mistake that he did. And in weakness, he disobeyed God because he really should have gone out for dinner that night, but I ain't going to preach there no more. Well, I can do it. Not no more. I was going to say no more 2009. But come January, I'm back on it. Huh? Running around there telling us she better get up and cook him some, you know. I mean, it was one of them uh, red lobster nights, the way I look at it. They'd have gone out to dinner. They'd have still been up in there. Huh? That's what I'm talking about. But anyhow, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> Let me take a little sip. <laughs> get tired of rolling them pots and pans at them. Come on, boy. Let's go out and get us something to eat. Get some Chinese or something. So anyway. <laughs> anywho. Anywho. So anyway. But when we were we were locked out of the garden for our own good, but immediately before they were even shut out of the garden, as a matter of fact, what did God do? He made a promise to him. He said, I will give you a seed who is going to bruise the devil's head, the same devil that caused you all this pain and broken heartedness and separation from me. He said, I'm going to give you a seed that's going to bruise his head and you'll be able to get back to me and the sign was one of blood an animal was was slain and coats skin coats of skin were given to them to cover themselves and cover their shame 
and cover their rejection until the time when Christ would come to eliminate it altogether and heal them so that you can walk confidently through this earth knowing that God approves of you, you're accepted in the beloved, you can't get out of this covenant with God, you can try to act like you ain't going to do with so much and God going to have to bless you anyway, but he ain't letting you out of it. I'm just real sorry. And you will learn to love God. You will learn to obey God. You will learn to be glad that he won't even ring your phone number up. You get, he'll get you straightened out. See, that's wholeness. Wholeness is you know who you are. And you know who God is. And you're not trying to cut corners and, and cheap out and try to, you know, play tricks on him and con him with some religion and all that kind of stuff. Wholeness means that you know who you are, you know what you were and what you did before you met the Lord and you know what he's done for you. And you walk in total awareness of it and appreciation of it at all times. You don't need to play religious games with people trying to act like you know more Bible than somebody. We'll all know how much you know huh? by how you live. And so if we can understand that God brought us out of that to bring us into something better. When he locks you out of anything, he does it to bring you into something better. If you could understand that. Sometimes we run around here, I want this, I want that, I want this. You got a gimme list for God, you got a, a, a you know, naughty and nice list for Santa Claus, you got a list for everybody. And God said, forget them lists. It's not about getting stuff from me. It's about getting yourself whole and getting yourself healed. So that when I am done with you, you'll be what I want you to be and not what you think you are or what you think you're supposed to be. Huh? I'm a totally different person than what I ever thought I would be in my life. Huh? Because of him. Because I sought wholeness instead of things from God. God's bigger than things, honey. He's much bigger than things if you would ever know it. Huh? Much bigger than things. I would hear women say stuff like, you know, I'm going to talk about marriage a little bit, but I ain't got a lot of time for this, so y'all listen up, okay? But I would hear women say, and these were single Christian women, you know, and they all want a ministry. Huh? The Bible says if you if you you uh, desire the office of a bishop overseer, somebody who's a leader in, over God's people, he said you first have to be given the hospitality. And them queens didn't want to make you a cup of coffee or anything like that. I said, well, how are you going to have a ministry and, and y'all don't want to cook and you don't want to do nothing? And I don't I don't understand how that works. Now you might have one, but you ain't gonna get it from God, not the God I know. <laughs> and he's like, well, your husband's so nice. I say, don't come like that. Huh? That's from years ago. <laughs> rope-a-doping me and rope-a-doping him. Huh? And working that thing out. Yeah, amen. Well, when I get my next husband, I say, oh, Elizabeth, I'm giving her a big one. <laughs> God ain't giving you no next husband. Like one from column A, one from column B. You gonna straighten up when he get in. You gonna straighten up now. Why would God do something like that to a godly man? 
Huh? You can go down to a shelter and get one of them brothers and give them a bath and bring them in. But God's not going to take a man and read his Bible every day and praise and love God. And he's going to give him somebody. I, I can't be doing that. I don't know about all this cooking and stuff. I work. I said, oh, really? Well, who feeds you? Now, somebody going to break down and cook some food in there if y'all going to eat. I know that so well. So why not you? Well, I don't see how you do it. I wouldn't do it. I said, okay. Wouldn't's a big, strong word. Huh? You going to do it for somebody. Huh? Do it for yourself. Huh? You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. That's basic Christianity. See, basic Christianity. And so in our brokenheartedness, we start looking for people to fill this emptiness on the inside of us. And we're always disappointed. Wonder why. Huh? Because we got the wrong piece of the puzzle in the wrong puzzle. Huh? It almost fits, but not quite. Huh? Almost fits, but not quite. And so when we understand that God came to heal our brokenheartedness, huh? God would never have rejected us if it were not for our own good. Hmm? All relationships we like are not good for us. Hmm? Rejection is a sample of future pain for some people in a relationship. If you feel hurt and rejected when people say certain words to you, you thought they loved you, you thought they liked you, and all of a sudden they have said mean stuff to you, that's just a down payment on what the future is going to bring you. Let us get real, folks. So you need God to heal your broken heart so that you don't have to be afraid of hurt in the future. Listen, if he can heal you, you have no fear. If you know you're going to get healed, you don't have to live a life of trying to uh, stay away from certain people because of, of the way they make you feel. Huh? Start feeling good around people. Start knowing who you are in Christ. Quit trying to avoid people because, well, I don't like the way they talk to people and they ain't nice and they ain't this and they ain't. Well, you ain't either. And they put up with you. Huh? And so God came to heal us from that, watching every word that people say and trying to measure everything and suspicious and looking. That's nothing but religion, folks. Among Christians, is nothing but religion. <clears throat> huh? Because, see, we become the behavior Nazi for the whole church. Huh? She better come. When she come in this time, she better smile. Huh? Or, praise the Lord, saints. (laughs) You know, shock waves go through you. And then they mad at you because you don't say it right back in that much time. Huh? Crazy people. Always measuring somebody else's behavior. And God didn't tell us to measure each other. He said, examine yourself. Huh? Dig your own self. And see, when you're healed, you won't be afraid to examine yourself. In fact, you'll be glad. Say, God, get it off of me. I, you know, I don't want to be that. Oh, come on now. I, I know I can do better than that. 
So we know that rejection can be a sample of future pain for some people. Rejection can also be a signal of incompatibility. If somebody's constantly buffeting you, you need to go back and pray. God, should I be around this person? Now, if you're in a fellowship together, you have no choice. But sometimes, you know how in fellowships, people pick little people they like better than other little people, try to run with them and all this kind of stuff. Just make sure y'all ain't running to hell. I thought thought I'd throw that in for free. See, all relationships that you like aren't good for you. You know, when people start to click with each other, little clicks, it's usually a flesh drawing each other. Huh? You like to be around them because they'll talk about people in the church and won't go run back and tell. Church people need to say amen. Huh? Or they'll let you watch movies at their house and all that kind of stuff and dumb stuff and talk that yang. You need to get somebody with somebody who is healed and can help you stay healed and lead you to greater healing. Huh? People who are bitter and angry and sour and complaining and want to talk about people in the church and all that kind of stuff are not whole. They're broken still. And they need wholeness. And you need wholeness and you need to leave them alone. Put them on your prayer list. Amen. So anyway, <clears throat> when, when Adam and Eve had sinned, Rejection was a signal that they were incompatible to God now. But God did give them a way to have access to him through the sacrifice. So God said, I can't come near you, but you can talk to me from a distance and I will take care of your needs. If you'll make these sacrifices and these offerings to me, then I will always be your God and take care of your needs. But I long for the day when we can be close again the way we were back in the garden, when we walked together. And so that day will come is what God's saying. That day will come. And I believe for every God-given relationship, if there's been rejection or pain or, or separation, the day will come when that relationship is made whole again, where it's reconciled, where there's no ill on either side, but God will make wholeness come to it. If we let God have it and quit trying to do it ourselves. The biggest mistake we make is not trusting that God has a heart like we have a heart. You know, he wants the same things that we want. Especially if they're good things and they're good relationships and peace among people. He wants those things for us. So rejection is only temporary. The choice God made by rejecting us was either rejection or eternal damnation. Rejection is an interim solution until reconciliation can be achieved. It's just a a temporary solution until reconciliation can be achieved. And this is true in all brokenhearted situations. God can heal and reconcile all brokenhearted situations. He can heal every broken heart. Even if you were in sin when when your heart got broken. You know, he'll heal that too. You don't have to go around limping just because you know you did wrong. So the cure for all rejection and all brokenheartedness 
is some kind of healing power, a balm, the anointing. If that's poured in, then healing can take place. And Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. He was, he was uh, assaulted and beaten up. This man was. And, and all the Christians, you know, believers passed by him. Nobody helped him except this Samaritan who was kind of like on the bottom. You know, the Jews didn't care much for the Samaritans. The Samaritan was the one that came and helped this man. He healed him. He paid for all of his lodging until he was well. He paid the whole bill. And that's who Jesus likens himself to. He pays the whole bill for us to make 100% whole. And while we are convalescing, he takes care of us. He takes care of us 100%. It's not like you got to be whole before you can do certain things for God. I wish people would quit that stuff. Because we are in the making, folks. He, you know what he does? It says he heals the brokenhearted. So the healing takes place with the anointing, the balm of God. So I'm separated from God. I'm a sinner. And I repent and I'm meek and I, I confess my sins and I ask Jesus to come into my heart. That revelation, that veil that comes down, makes me one with God. So I am whole. What has to transpire then down the road is more understanding to build on this wholeness so that I can continue down that road and get more of God in me and get stronger in it and come to a greater revelation of this wholeness thing. But while I'm working it out with God on the inside, what about the bad memories. What about the fears I have? What about the pain? And he says he binds the wounds up. He heals your broken heart and the wounds that you get. Say sister so-and-so, you know, she just causes trouble for everybody in the church and she mean to you today. Well, that's a wound. He quickly bandages that up. And you know how he does it? Through forgiveness. All you have to do is go to God and say, God, could you take this, please? I forgive so-and-so for hurting me. And he constantly is binding up our wounds, bandaging them up. Not a Band-Aid, but a bandage. A bandage is something. Have you ever, you cut your finger and you don't put a Band-Aid on it or it's freshly cut. And every time you touch it against somebody, it's ouch. But you put a nice thick band-aid on there and you can sometimes touch without feeling. Well, that's what God does with all of our wounds. They're not always healed, but they're bound. So that we're not touchy and we're not easily hurt and we don't have to avoid people. You know how if something hurts you, you don't want anybody to rub against it and you got to stay away from people and you just want to get away and protect yourself from further injury. Well, if your wounds are bound, you don't have to go through life trying to protect yourself from further injury. You can go into a relationship with somebody that looks just like the same person that treats you just like the same person that caused you so much pain and heartache. As a bound up person, you're not all the way whole, but your wounds are bound and you're not touchy about it. And if they hurt you again, which people will do. And you will too, because you're a people too. Huh? 
then God will then further heal and further bind. So we're really a bunch of walking wounded in a way around here. We know that bad things happen to us and they used to really bug us. But now that we're with God, they don't really bug us so much anymore. And we think we might have a shot at a good life if we keep on this road. Maybe I can trust somebody. Maybe I can decide to get married instead of just always hiding from people and trying to pretend like I'm happy. Single in Christ, as they say. You know, whatever. Some people are happy that way. But for those pretenders, (laughs) you don't have to fake it no more. You can be real. And you can let God know, you know, God, I really have been hiding out from having to have a relationship with somebody. Because, well, I wasn't tweeted white. I wasn't whooped the last time I was whooped. They don't treat me right. What's what is uh what's that girl's name? Your girl Tippy. What's her name? Cupcake. They don't treat me. <laughs> Comes to the car wash early every time. They don't treat me right. And she messed around and started crying real loud. I said, Wait a minute, you can't do that up here. We gotta sell food now. <laughs> Cupcake, I don't care. We cup your cake on somewhere else, as my mother used to say. <laughs> but uh You know, we have a song and a dance for every bad thing that's happened to us in life, like their major trauma. But God says, I bind up your wounds. You may not be totally healed yet, but we're working on it. And while the anointing is working underneath to heal memories and, and heal, get you out of fear and get you released From the yoke of the enemy that wants to keep you in self-pity and keep you remembering what happened and keep you from going forward. All of that stuff. While that's going on, God has bandaged, put a, a thick bandage on there so that you can't feel pain if you get touched again. See, we avoid many situations that could bring healing to us if we would let God lead us into it. People who say they want reconciliation in marriage, I say, you might pick up that argument the same place you did when that brother stepped out the last time he was there. Huh? But you're going to win this time. You're going to win this time because you're made whole. And God's in it. And he will bring reconciliation and peace where there was no peace. And so God is there for us, folks, first to heal the brokenheartedness that came from our broken relationship with him. And then to lead us into relationships of a godly sort. So really, the only remedy for brokenheartedness to cure is that someone must pour love into the wound. The first person to pour love into that wound is God. So when you got born again, he poured his love into you and healed you 100% of broken relationship and broken heartedness between you and he. He expects then that you would pour out that same love in relationship to other people. Now this takes a sacrifice. This is sacrificial love, which, you know, people don't talk too much about these days because everybody wants what's good for them 
You know, we still are the me generation. Everybody's looking out for me. What's in it for me? And I got to know if they want me and what are they going to do for me? Well, there is no me in sacrifice. Me gets nailed to the tree. What I'm saying is this. When you come to the Lord, you may think of yourself as somebody who's fragile and broken and weak. But you're a lot more capable of the sacrifice of pouring love into somebody than you know you are. And this is why God calls on us to do these things. He's not going to call on anybody else. You know, I used to pray with women all the time. In my marriage, my husband wasn't saved yet and didn't come to church. And they would come up to me and say, well, my husband slept late and didn't come to church. I'm going to say, girlfriend, go sit down somewhere. But, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> I wanted to say, why don't you pray for me because I can't get mine to come the first time. See, you don't know. But what God told me was, I have put you there to love him into the kingdom. See, that screaming and squawking and pouting might work for some of these religious people, but it didn't work for me. I had to obey God and believe him for my husband's salvation. And so I was more capable than I thought I was. Of pouring love into him to get him healed, to get his broken heart healed, so that he can come to know the living God. And I can remember God telling me, you just have to continue to love him. Well, why I got to be all alone? (laughs) Come on, God. I don't like this job. Huh? Because I felt myself at the end of what I had to give. I felt like I'd done everything God told me. I don't. <laughs> huh? See, as long as you're screaming and crying and bawling and squalling, you ain't done yet. You haven't done enough yet. See, this love is a sacrificial love from the beginning. The love of God starts with a sacrifice. So it's in you in a sac. It was given to you as a sacrifice on his part. And you got it free. So all he's asking you to do is pass it on to someone else who is in need. That's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, folks. We're always looking for people to minister and looking for you. Don't look too far. Because I'm sure there's somebody right in your family, right in your midst who needs the love of God. You know what love is? It means that you do the right thing when you've been done wrong. It means when they rail at you, you don't rail back. You don't have a bunch of lip to give people. It means that you do things for them and take extra care to make sure they know you love them and care about them and are thinking about them. When I was, but my husband's passed away now, but when he was alive, I I made it my business to know what things he liked and what things he didn't like, even if I didn't like the way he said it. You got me? People don't always have to treat you nice for you to treat. This is Christianity, folks. This is the power of God in operation that we are to show the world that God so loved the world that he gave. And the only way we'll show them that is that we must give too. So in order for brokenheartedness to be healed, there has to be a a sacrificial love poured into the situation. 
If you're just giving, is you know, I look at sometimes I look at married people. I say, man, they ain't gonna last long with this kind of stuff they got going on. You know, you look at Tiger Woods. I finally said it. I wasn't gonna say his name no more, and I said it. Well, I'm not gonna say what I. I said it away from the microphone. Uh But people, we live in this kind of world, folks, where people are out to get what they can get from people and to use as many people as they can. This is the kind of world we live in. That's why people don't want to get married. They want to stay single. They claim they're looking for somebody, but they have so long ago given up on making a commitment. Why? Because the sin that they live in is so damaged their souls, they don't think anybody's any good anyway. You can bring them the best person in the world, and their concept of humanity is so diminished by their own sin. Reprobate mind. Where you're so depraved, you don't think any good can come out of anybody else. And so we we have to have someone who is willing to pour the balm of God into another soul to get them healed so it takes a sacrificial love to mend a broken relationship in that it how many of you listened to that tape death of a homosexual remember that old tape we had yeah and and you know the story that young man was molested ever since he was a child and he was trying to live a married man's life and he kept slipping back into homosexuality And the little wife that prayed for him, remember her? And how she stood by him and people said, oh, you can leave. You know, he's not going to do his. No, she stayed with him because she was willing to pour back into him what God had poured into her when she was born again. And see, if we're not willing to do that as Christians, we're just looking for what's what's for us and for the me thing and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to gather much fruit for God. I'm telling you, there's more in you than you know about. If you would let God get control over you and get you in a situation where you're forced to pour out to somebody and quit thinking about you first. Huh? Sometimes, you know, you're marrying the wrong person and God lets you. And that forces you to pour something out or you know the relationship won't survive. God won't bless you. Nothing good will happen. And all of a sudden the relationship turns around and they become the right person. Why? Because you became the right person. Huh? He worked on both of y'all. So God will get this work done, folks. He will get this work of wholeness done. Two wounded people can seldom help one another. Unless one is made whole and becomes a vessel or a conduit for sacrificial love. And you got your work cut out for you. I was married to a man who was uh, who had a marriage that lasted 18 months, his first marriage. This was before I was saved and before I even knew him. And he was so hurt and wounded, he just got jumped one foot over the broom. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And had a lot of, I'll stay married if, 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 if. She bed not. I bet not hear about all these conditions on love. And so God, in order to keep our marriage together, he had to save me. 
or there would have one of us or there would have been no relationship and no marriage. And so people who think that they can walk into any situation and if it's God, it's going to be wonderful. And if we have problems, it ain't God. Don't be so sure about that. God's in it one way or the other. If he's in you, he's in your situation. He's in your relationships. He's in everything that concerns you. So he's in it one way or the other. And God will let us step into these situations because we want to get involved with people. But he expects us to act like Christians once we get in there. He doesn't want you to go down the road and say, well, God didn't join us together and go divorce somebody. He don't play that. Huh? He's going to make you stay there and give and give and sow and give and give and give till it get good to you. Huh? You say, I just love to give. Huh? That was my confession. I love my husband. I love taking care of my husband. I didn't want nobody else to have that job taking care of him. He's mine. And better not get no funny ideas about going nowhere, neither. Huh? You walk past him and say, what you thinking about? Better not get no funny ideas about rushing up out of here. Huh? You'll limp out. Huh? Walked in here, but you will limp out. Huh? <laughs> oh, I'm messing with y'all, girls. Why? Why? But I did say it. Only said it once. I only said it once. Only had said it once. Oh, they get funny ideas. Now, don't think he's, I'm a woman of God, and God's healed my marriage, and God's keeping this together. You better wake up and realize God's going to work through you, honey girl. Huh? <laughs> it's the truth. And don't, you know, the Bible says to walk circumspectly, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. You better, Tiger Woods, seconds. That's it. That's it. but if you are whole if you are the saved person in the relationship god is expecting you to be the one that he works through to heal and help make that person whole sometimes we we think that's too much of a burden for us you know i I don't want to go through all of that if it takes all this to you know do this i don't want no part of it yes you do Because it's going to take, you're going to have to pay the price one day, one way or the other. What is worth it in your life for you to pay the price for? Is there anything worth you giving up what you want to do so that God can work through you and show somebody else who he is in human flesh and in human form? So the wounded must receive love. Now, this is the other thing. Sometimes that wounded person may stiffen themselves and harden themselves. And I'm talking about somebody you're married to. I ain't talking about no boyfriend. Listen, if it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they trying to give you a hug, just keep walking. I tell you right now, that ain't the one. You put them on your prayer list. You bless them. You pray for them, et cetera, et cetera. But don't set yourself up for no real hard work. But I'm talking about somebody that you are married to and you have a marriage vow and a marriage covenant. That person, God will always use you to pour love into that person. Always. And love doesn't keep score. I was nice to you last time. I'm waiting for you to be nice to me before I'm nice to you. Grow up. 
Huh? Grow up. Some people just ain't nice, but they love you. Let's see, that's a revelation to some people. Some people don't smile a lot all the time. They have their own personality, their own way of doing things, but that doesn't mean they don't love you. They love you. So we got to cut this immature stuff out about love and, and relationships and everything like that and start to understand why we're here. Why were you saved? You're saved to be a glory and a praise to God in the earth by pouring out love onto all humanity. And yes, you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to have some relationships that you wish you hadn't gotten into. You're going to have some things God's going to have to get you out of. But, you know, have the humility to let him correct you. And you make the necessary change so that he can bring you into something greater. So when we have God, we have hope finally for a better life. And we can function normally and let God's love be poured into us. And we can pour it out onto other people unless we find that there's a hindrance in the flow of love. Now, what do I mean by a hindrance? A hindrance is something that you feel you just can't get over with respect to another individual. It's a hindrance. Now, let me tell you what the nature of most hindrances are. Your life can be hindered. We can function normally unless we have a strong fear of rejection and pain and it's anchored in some type of a vow or a promise that we've made to ourselves. Watch yourself when you think in your mind, I would like to get back with my husband, but I would like to have a relationship. I would like to get married, but that but happens to represent a promise that you have made to yourself that eliminates you from that whole relationship. For instance, women who have been battered. Oh, I don't want to marry anybody. Well, I'll be okay with him, but if he ever raises his hand to me or raises his voice to me or I'm leaving. See, that vow gives you an escape out of the relationship. Well, God doesn't want us to have an escape out of any relationship. He is our escape. He is our hiding place. He is our refuge. And so if we will open ourselves up to receive the wholeness that God has for us, we don't need an escape clause in a relationship. Many people have broken relationships and divorce because it's come down to that. Something they promised themselves on the inside that they would never tolerate, that now it shows up. And do you know that if the devil can hear you say what you would give up a relationship for, he'll bring it right to your doorstep. You let that rascal know you're scared of something, he will bring it right to you. So you'll have to prove your own words. Huh? Well, I don't want no man who just sit around and play Nintendo. Well, don't buy him one then. It's where you made your mistake. Should have went and bought you a dress. Huh? Well, you need to be his Nintendo. 
I'm going to stop there with that. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what inner vows will do to you. Y'all under, all understand what I'm talking about when I say a vow, that you've sworn that you will not put up with certain things in a relationship. And if they ever do that, and you never fill in the blank because the devil fills it in for you. Mm-hmm. Walking away is probably the most benign thing you can do. Some people go upside your head. Some people pull out a gun. You know, people do all kinds of things if they feel attacked or or unloved. But the inner vow will make you afraid to give where you're more comfortable taking. Huh? People who are more comfortable taking and afraid to give have made some kind of promise to themselves that they're only going to do so much for that man or that woman that they're married to. And then they stop giving. And then they manipulate that person into trying to do something to get them to feel better about them. It's just witchcraft. You know, it's junior witchcraft, but witchcraft, it grows into bigger if you keep working it. Huh? Had that brother so wound up, he can't leave the house, can't go to work. It might as well be on house arrest. You ask him, what crime did you commit you can't go out the house? He don't know. He's just scared of her. Oh, laugh, women. Yes, yes. If that's you, just repent. Shoot. Let's move on. Let's grow up here. The inner vow will make you refuse to serve. Some people's egos are so fragile, their dignity is so so easily broken that they can't condescend and bend down to help somebody. Huh? Everybody has to come up to their level. So refusing to serve is the result of an inner vow. They just made up their minds, you know, I'm not going to do that. I don't care who tells me, you can't make me do it. Hmm? refusing to love you set limits on a limitless commodity the love of God has no limit to it folks and yet we will set limits on it because we feel so insecure that if we are afraid if we don't get something back after a minor investment that we don't want to invest anymore When God wants people who will freely give. He said, you got it free. Freely you receive, freely you give. You give my love to whoever I tell you to give it to. What is the love of God in action? It's it's going to see somebody that hasn't been able to get to church for a while. Huh? For whatever reason. Making sure that they're taken care of. And I'm not talking about calling, hey, how you doing? You know, and and hang up the phone real quick. You know what I'm saying. People, you know, people think they, they, and you know, the people that are like this, you know, that don't want to do anything, they'll get this close to doing something and feel like, wow, man, I, I mean, it's heavy for them because they're so unaccustomed to giving. They're so scared. That life won't give them anything good or whatever that they, they're just stingy with it all. You're just measuring it out. Yeah. You want to give too much. So we set limits on a limitless com- commodity. 
We resist compassion. We don't want to be moved. You ever see people who are cold hearted toward people when they are in need or they don't want to be moved with compassion. They've made a vow on the inside that they're I'm not going to be made a fool out of. I'm not going to be played. Huh? Them be you wind up being the biggest played person, the ones who are always afraid of it. Because they'll step out when they think it's safe and wind up in a trap. And the end of the inner vow is that we rebel against God. And we don't want his agenda. Because we think it's too costly. We think it's going to cost us too much. And we'll never get repaid if we obey God. Isn't that stupid to say when you think about it? But that's what it's like when you live under a vow. And the only way that you can get free and you get healed is you've got to renounce this. You have to renounce the limits that you have put between you and God because there's that rejection barrier you put up again. Where you were rejected by him, now you're accepted, you throw the rejection up again. Because God, I'll let you use me, but only so far. huh? I'll do this, God, but I'm not going to do anymore. I've had people tell me that. They'll see things that, well, I wouldn't do it. You cook? My pastor don't cook. I say, your pastor don't run this over here, honey. You see these people over there like to eat. I was, honey, I'm, I'm cooking for my life right up in here. I wouldn't dare come up in here and didn't have no meats and sweets and treats for y'all. Give me a break. And I try, I tried to do the potluck thing or whatever, and these queens ain't gonna cook. Nobody gonna really cook but me and Pastor Shirley. So we don't even try that. Potluck means you might make it home and you might not. And just depends if there's death in the pot or not. <laughs> Didn't Elijah have to throw some meal in the pot if it cooked up something? <laughs> Be glad, huh? Just be glad. Make sure ain't death in the pot. I'm trying to keep everybody alive around here. Huh? I bet the visitors think we're just a rough bunch around here. I'm going to be a good girl now. (laughs) But you have to admit and renounce these. When you find a limit, you know, especially you married people, you got to make up your mind you're limitless. You have to give, 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 give. Huh? You married that person. God ain't held no gun to your head. That's your husband. Now you want to whine to God. Well, God, I wish you would have told. No, you wasn't really asking like that. Huh? He could have told you, but you really didn't want to know. So now you let you find out for yourself. Mr. Smarty Pants. Miss Smarty Pants. Huh? But love requires a sacrifice. I mean, a marriage requires a sacrifice to keep it together. You can't be catered to. Get real. <laughs> I got news for you. You're going to give beyond. Hmm? So we have to renounce this inner vow. Hmm? You have to renounce that. And God can undo that damage that's been done. But really, you become the source of your own pain. If you hold on to limits in relationships, you have to take limits off of relationships.
because God's love has no limit. And he has anointed us to give. He has ordained us to give. We need to let go and let love work. Because love has a redeeming work on humanity. It has a healing work on humanity. And once it works on us, it can work in us and through us. It's almost an automatic thing. If you just let God flow through you, it'll shock you what you can get accomplished in God. And this is the process of wholeness. So really you are made whole in the giving out of the love of God. That's the most whole that you will become is when you stop trying to bottle it up and stay in your insecurity and stay in your little vow you promised. And Oh, honey, the man I buried, what are you doing? He going to have to come up on a white charger. I mean, Cadillac on down. Plenty diamonds, all that stuff, honey, furs, and I mean everything. And nothing less for the kid, honey. Nothing less for the kid. So you start praying. And the brother scratches and use the back of his hand for a handkerchief. But he pays attention to you. He pays attention to you. No Cadillac, no diamond ring. Run! No. (laughs) I was getting scared myself. (laughs) But he pays attention to you. The outer trappings are not there, but he pays attention to you. Hmm? And the love gets you hooked. The love will override. If you will open your heart to respond to the love that God offers you, it will begin to heal you in ways that you don't know. We have to open ourselves up in relationships just to hear and to respect and to know and to hear the voice of God in a relationship. That's why Jesus asked the man, will you be made whole? And this is a question he's asking us today. That will you be made whole means will you be still and let me work my work in you? Will you be obedient and not refuse me what I ask you to do? Will you not run away from me and from the people that I put into your life to help you and bless you? Will you let me perfect you? Can I have my way in your life is what God's asking. Can you trust me that I know what I'm doing? In the good times and the bad, I'm still God and I still know what I'm doing. When a relationship is broken and when you're on top of the world, he's still God and he knows what he's doing. Wholeness means nothing missing, nothing broken. Everything brought back to you intact. And yeah, you may still have some fears. And you may still have a lot of wounds with bandages on them, but you're bound up and you're whole essentially and you're free to function as a whole human being. You're free to go through life without fear. You're not a fear of relationships. You're not afraid to go where God tells you to go. You're not afraid to use your faith, get on a bus or an airplane or anything he tells you to do and go forward and receive what he has for you. You're not touchy. 
God is saying, will you quit watching to see who is out to get you? Quit keeping track of every unkind word that's ever been said to you. Quit being touchy. He says, I'll bandage the wound if you will let me. As we continue in life, we can be wounded again and again and again, but the balm of God continues to flow through us to heal us. All we have to do is quit stopping it from flowing. It's there, folks. It's there. It's there for us. It's there for our needs. It's there for the needs of humanity. It's there for the needs of your household, for your children, your husband, your wife, parents. It's there for them. Humanity, it's there for them. That bomb is available to us at all times, but we got to let it flow. We've got to stop being sinners in our minds and afraid of everything. Afraid of getting close to God. Afraid of what he might require of us. Afraid of everything. We've got to let the bomb flow and heal us and continue to heal us. So why don't you start some music and we'll pray and see what God wants to do. I really feel like. There are some people, when I talked about certain things, these vows that we have on the inside, God keeps having me come against those things. Because I think that's the holdup in making progress in relationships that we have spoken, swear, sworn to ourselves because of some trauma that we don't want to get into that situation again. Well, God says, get in, get in that situation again, but you'll be in it with me this time. And you'll see that I can make a difference in you. Some of you have been hurt and nursing hurt, and you're about to get rebellious against God. You know, some of you feel like you've been waiting a long time for God to do certain things for you. And it hasn't happened soon enough. And God is saying this, if you will just let me flow through you and continue to heal you, you'll have peace on every side. You'll find that there's nothing missing and nothing broken. Because what you think you're waiting for to complete you will not complete you. He says, I'll complete you. And then when I bring that blessing to you, it'll just be icing on the cake. It won't be the cake. It'll be the icing. He says, I'm the cake. I'm the bread of life. If you will get more of me, you will be more healed. You don't have to be afraid to be yourself. You don't have to be afraid of people condemning you because you are who you are. You'll just have a good flow of life in you. So why don't we pray in the spirit a little bit and I'll decide how God wants me to minister to you. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We magnify you and we extol you, O God, and lift you 